Hey guys, it's Adam from Casper Dog Training. This is another episode of the podcast, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Um, I appreciate you guys listening on Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all the others. Um, if you feel so inclined and you think we're doing a good job with this podcast, please go to my Anchor uh, page, which is www.anchor.fm forward slash Adam dash Casper. And that's Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R. What you can do there is you can go to the sponsorship side. Uh, there's a little button there and you can sponsor the, the podcast for as little as 99 cents per month. So uh, it's really, really cheap. Um, if you wanted to make a contribution in another way, we can actually arrange for a PayPal payment. That can be found on my my SoundCloud page. So check that out if you feel so inclined. Again, it's 99 cents per month, 4.99 a month or 9.99 a month. For 4.99 or 9.99 a month, I would definitely think we should do a phone consultation and I help you out directly with whatever you're uh trying to work on with your dog. Also, if you need dog training in the days of COVID-19 coronavirus, uh, social distancing and quarantines and stay at home, all that stuff. Well, we can still do dog training and we can do it online. I've had, uh, just this week, uh, three new clients sign up, which is very exciting. And what we're doing is we're doing online training until we can be together face to face. So what we can do is go to www.casperdogtraining.com forward slash book dash online and you can book an online uh, training session. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter uh, what time zone you live in, doesn't even matter what country you live in. And from there, you can actually pay um, any currency you'd like as long as you're using uh, PayPal or any kind of uh, other Visa, American Express, uh, MasterCard, or credit cards. So this episode of the podcast, guys, is going to be speaking about resource guarding again. And first of all, I wanted to talk about the, the fundamental differences on what we're trying to, to do here and the differences between the two types of, of conditioning we might be doing with a dog that has this particular issue, um, that is resource guarding. And it also speaks to you know the different ways we would be conditioning a dog just in general everyday life. And that's classical conditioning and operant uh, conditioning. So the two of those, to make them uh, as easy I can make you understand it, is classical conditioning is about association. So think about Pavlov and, and the, the story about that. Uh, bell rings, uh, dogs expecting, in, from an environmental perspective, expecting something to happen and he salivates. So there's actual physical um, association to an audible um, experience. Now, operant conditioning is about rewards and punishment. So it's basically like, if I do this, then that happens. If I do this, good things happen. If this happens, that means something bad's happening. So I probably want to avoid that. Now, when it comes to these uh, condition responses with resource guarding dogs, we need to use our best judgment in what methods we're going to deploy. Um, it's not always going to be straightforward like we're going to do bait and switch, bait and switch. There's lots of different methods, but I can tell you this. When it comes to a severe resource guarding case, we have to go extremely slow and work into this. We can't just dive in. And again, 
This is something I've told you guys uh, on another occasion on the other podcast regarding resource guarding. Please contact your vet, first of all, and, and or get a referral to a animal behaviorist or dog trainer that does animal behavior. Um, the reason is, is that a dog that has resource guarding issues typically is aggressive and they're either aggressive to other canines, other animals in the home, other humans, adult or worse, uh, children. So if, if you're really in all those categories or really the, the aggression could potentially happen to your child get a professional to come in and help. And if that means you need somebody like me, um, by all means, reach out to me on my webpage and we can, I can start helping you there. Um, some of this is a long process and it does go kind of a case by case because not every dog is going to be treated exactly the same. So, so as far as my style goes, if, if I'm advising my client on teaching your dog sit and I use a hand gesture, that might be the hand gesture I prefer but it doesn't mean it's the only hand gesture that's acceptable. And that's where I'm going with this whole uh, conversation. We can't necessarily rely 100% on, um, you know, this guy, Adam from Casper Dog Training, gives me advice, and this is the only advice I can take. This is one of those uh, circumstances where I would highly recommend is you do as much homework as possible, but definitely consult a professional. And you have a professional come in uh, and evaluate your dog and and speak to... uh, their experience with resource guarding. But the other thing is, is that you can go to a, a reliable vet if you have no idea where to start. I mean, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please um, seek out extra help. And this would be a case where, as simply as it put, you bring your dog into the vet for their normal um, checkups and you can ask that. That should be a big part of your conversation. And behavioral health typically is not the the veterinaries uh, the veterinarian's primary focus. I mean, their physical health uh, of the dog or or animal that they treat is paramount to them. However, they don't necessarily always have uh, the depth of experience for behavior issues. But if they've been in practice for a while, or they're in a practice where they have a, a veterinarian that's been been uh, practicing for a longer period of time, they will have resources. They will have affiliates and they will have other um, experts that they can reach out to. In, in my case, um, our vet reached out uh, to someone uh, in, in a rescue organization nearby here. And it uh, turns out she's um, very well um, accredited in the industry. Um, she's, uh, she's really great. And she helped my dog out with uh, separation anxiety. Um, and this was a case where it was uh, a number of years back. And uh, to be honest, I was completely outgunned with the separation anxiety. Now I could say I'm much better at it, but you know, today, as we, as we speak right now, that's this is t- totally not my strong suit. However, uh, I can give you guys enough advice so that you can um, at least approach a professional or work with a professional, and you're going into this with a little more information than you would just coming in cold. So I think that's pretty important to do. You know, it's like, um, I'm sure doctors in some cases appreciate this, but by and large, they probably don't. If, you know, you're not feeling well and you Google all these kinds of symptoms and you go into your doctor's office, instantly they're going to they're gonna think, oh God, here comes another Google doctor. It's not the case. 
just really go in with enough information where you say, okay, well, I've heard about classical conditioning and counter conditioning. What are we going to do here? What's the best method or what's a method to try? So I think that's pretty relevant and important. So coming back to the conversation regarding classical conditioning and building associations and operant conditioning, which is more of a reward and punishment kind of cause and effect thing. We have to talk about all kinds of these like um, responses that can be, you know, classically conditioned. And what I mean by that is obviously Pavlov. Um, the um, physical uh, manifestation of, of what happens when the dog hears the bell ring and the food drops into the, uh, the bowl, uh, the dog salivates. So you're actually associate, having the, the dog associate that bell with food and them expecting what comes next. So if it is a case where the dog currently sees his dog bowl and sees someone approach the dog bowl too close and too close according to the dog, they are going to elicit the response of protection. So it's going to be growling, it's going to be biting, and also it's going to go through some of those uh, conditioned emotional responses I talked about in the other podcast regarding uh, resource guarding. So if you haven't heard that one, go back there and uh, check those out because those uh, emotional responses um, is clearly what we're de dealing with in most of these occasions. The dog is, is protecting the food bowl with his or her life. And it's so critically important to them because that object is, uh, at that moment, the most important thing in their world. So we have to be very careful um, in how we're, we're letting these emotional responses dictate the dog. And then how do we change that association to, okay, person is too close or within that uh, danger bubble, if you will. How are they going to feel about that? If you are, let's say, further away, say say the bubble is six feet away from uh, the, the dog's food bowl and you're 10 feet away. If you're 10 feet away and the dog is really mildly interested or sort of getting interested as you slowly approach towards that six-foot boundary, how about this? If you stopped at 10 feet or 8 feet and tossed food into the bowl or high-value uh, treat into the bowl, and then walked away. So at that point, the dog sees you approaching the bowl and starts their conditioned emotional response being, I'm feeling upset about this. I'm getting more upset. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. It's danger. And then all of a sudden, you do something that has a different response, which means you're, you're throwing the food in the bowl or in the food, food bowl area, and you're walking away. You're gaining distance away from that target that the dog is... Um, is protecting. So at that point, there's a high probability that the dog's going to go get the food, but doesn't have to defend it at this point. So there might be a little bit of the dog looking at you, measuring things, trying to figure out like, well, what's the, what's the angle here? What's the human trying to do? So what the human trying to do there is we're trying to um, slowly make that bubble smaller and smaller and get it to eventually disappear. So Working with the empty food bowl is probably a good place to start if the dog is food, food bowl centered. Now, I'm, I'm using this example as food bowl 
Um, and, and the reason why I'm doing that is that that object typically, um, whether it's food or whether it's an object or whether it's a location or a person, some of this dictates a similar condition emotional response. And some of it with associations like you being the human, not interested in invading the dog's territory or stealing the resource, rather you're providing a resource and you're walking away could mean a big difference for the dog emotionally. The dog might not see you in the area of the, the food bowl and see the same interest in, I better protect this versus, hey, the human's going over there and I'm interested. Look at that. Something good happened twice. And what I mean by that is food fell in the bowl and it was really good food. And then the human disappeared. They walked away and they're no threat. So as time goes on, and this, this would not happen over the course of a day or maybe even a couple of days or a week. You might need to try this over a section of time and slowly get a little bit closer each time. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of different techniques. Uh, you know, I, I've, I, I've had, um, I've worked with other dog trainers and uh, dog trainers have worn gloves in situations or used like kind of mannequin arms or something like that to simulate touching that. And I'm almost a little bit more conservative. And what I'm telling you advice wise, again, seek out a, a, a referral for a behaviorist or a dog trainer that does animal behavior specifically with resource guarding. Consult your vet. See if the vet has any input because if they can recommend something medically, maybe maybe the dog has greater anxieties than just food, just protecting the food and the food bowl or uh, you know, a specific object. If there is a pharmacological answer there, that's a, a, a potential as well. So consider these things. And you know, also look at, look at what I'm saying here. I'm saying do not rush whatsoever and don't take this on your own. But this is some of the things you can expect that you might do. And uh, other, like I said, other techniques, you know, you could have somebody that's uh, simulating the dog touching, uh, you touching the dog's bowl or putting your hand in the dog food. I think you're trying to elicit a response at that point. And usually people that have approached me that have a dog with separation anxiety, there's no question. I, I don't need to be convinced that the dog's going to protect the food bowl or the food in the bowl. It, it's a given. Um, it, it's like when people say, oh, my dog pulls on the leash. Here, let me show you. I mean, why wouldn't I believe you? So, of course, uh, it, it makes sense, but let's also be very diligent in documenting who, what, when, where, why, and how in this case, too. So you have to tell your dog trainer, you have to tell your vet, you have to tell a behaviorist exactly what's happening and the sequence it's happening in. And sometimes when you just brought home a foster dog or you just brought home a rescue dog for the first time and you don't know anything about this dog and who knew that this would be a case. The big thing here, guys, is management, okay? The dog uh, is protecting his food bowl from another dog. The dog is protecting his toys or a bone away from another dog in the home. Okay, well, let's manage that. How do we manage something like that? First and foremost, take the object away. When the dog is disinterested, when the dog's outside, when the dog is sleeping, get it out of sight. So that's one thing. 
Another thing is, separate the dogs if necessary. If it's a case where the, the one dog is only aggressive to the, the resident dog when it's around food, feed the dogs in separate rooms. I mean, it's easier said than done, and it sounds like a very common uh, common sense thing, but there are some, some occasions, and there are some people in, in some homes that don't have the advantage of multiple rooms. But what I'm telling you is, if you have a bathroom that has a door that closes on it, that's one area where you can feed a dog, or you have a crate, and you can feed a dog there in another room and have your dog fed in the kitchen, let's say. So this way, they're able to maintain their normal uh, consumption, get their, get their nutrition and calories, and there isn't an all-out war whenever this happens. Please don't make the mistake of thinking, okay, I will feed aggressive dog with resource guarding issues first, and think, well, if the dog has a full stomach, he won't guard the, the, the food bowl anymore. Well, you'll find out quickly that you're wrong. The dog will probably defend that bowl and the other bowl and try and take over. Uh, or, you know, one of the mistakes people make is you put the two food bowls right next to each other in the same room. And now all of a sudden you're in the middle of a dog fight or a standoff. So let's try and avoid those and steer around that. It's only something to manage and keep safe. So some of the things you, you may need, you may need, um, you know, the, your dogs to eat in separate rooms. You might need maybe a baby gate or a barrier of some sort. Of course, a door is as is, is simple as it gets, but, you know, I would also recommend someone from the home uh, monitoring each dog when they eat, um, specifically the dog that would do resource guarding. Now, if the dog doesn't resource guard against humans and it's only other uh, against other dogs, that's that's as simple as it gets. Get the, get the other dog out of the room, feed them simultaneously. Do not leave leftovers. Okay. So if your resident dog that was introduced to a resource guarding rescue dog or or a um, dog that's being fostered, we can't leave an endless buffet out there. So, you know, my dog is um, has been with me for uh, seven, eight years now. And, um, you know, of course I, I brought another dog in and she didn't finish her kibble. I wouldn't think of picking it up normally, but, um, you know, that's in an only dog household, that would be fine. Multi-dog household, you run the risk of, first of all, just even in the most peaceful situation, one dog that eats until they're full and then they go and they lay down or they go outside and do their business. Well, the second dog comes in and has consumed all their food. Now they're going to consume a secondary uh, source of, of, of fat and protein and all that stuff. And what you're going to end up with is, is an overweight, obese dog. Um, so we don't want to cause that. But separating the dogs, managing their behavior is very important. Another one is, you know, perhaps even if you don't have the, the real estate in the room, well, why don't you do this? If you can only feed one dog at a time because you don't have a door that you can close off or it's just not practical for some reason, if you have a dog crate, put your resource guarding dog in the crate and cover that with a blanket and, um, you know, put the food bowl down for the other dog um, let the dog eat and then sw switch them. You know, I mean, it, these are all um, kind of band-aids for the, for the greater deal until you can get it dealt with. And especially nowadays where it could be weeks or months until you can get a in-home dog trainer um, based on how everything is going with the quarantines and, and uh, um, social distancing. There's very little we can do. 
But I, I will tell everybody this consultations over phone and and over the internet using online video uh sessions would probably be the most effective at this point so uh guys this is uh i don't want this uh, uh this session this episode to go too long um but this is uh right where we are at this point is uh beginning stages of how to treat this please review these these steps if you have any questions please re reach out to me uh, Adam at CasperDogTraining.com. You can go by the webpage and uh, book a free consultation. We can talk on the phone for uh, 30 minutes or so and uh, figure out what the best uh, angle of attack is to, to resolve some of these issues. And if you just need plain old dog training, uh, reach out to me there. Um, <clears throat> also, thank you for your time. I hope everybody is staying home, staying safe, and uh, uh, maintaining their health. Um, Thinking about all you guys, and uh, hopefully we get to see you all soon. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Take care.